0: The following program is paid for by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Finance of America, Mortgage, LLC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS 1071, AZBK 0910184. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Absolute Mortgage. Visit absoluteloans.com or call 888-90-HOMES for cost information. You're listening to the Money Hour with your host Tina Mitchell, sponsored by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Finance of America Mortgage. Now in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert Tina Mitchell.
1: Welcome to the Money Hour at 11:50 AM KKNW, the Saturday, July 9th show. I am your host and mortgage expert Tina Mitchell. Each week, I share expert advice and inside knowledge on how today's events in our local economy can affect your money. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening. To a rebroadcast, but I'm here to answer any questions or connect you with the guests that I have on my show today. You can call the show at one 855 Again, 1-855-411-50 or online at moneyar.com And my lineup for uh, the show today, I have Gary Castle with Mountain Top Advisors, investing in a low interest rate world is the conversation I'll be having with Gary today. Also in studio, Jonna Hood with Windermere Real Estate, coaching buyer and sellers to win in this crazy. Crazy, crazy, hot real estate market is my conversation with uh, Jonna today and last guest in studio, uh, Sally Fox with Engaging Presence. We're going to talk about creating stories that will grow your business. So it'll be a lot of fun to uh, talk with Sally today. Great information and great guest in studio. For more information on any of the topics discussed or future topics that you'd like me to bring into the show, please call at 1-855-411-50. Again, it's one 855 411 1150 or online at the Money Hour. Com. And let's start out the show today with a little money
2: chat. Money. Money.
1: Today I'm going to stick to my own arena and talk about mortgages. Why? Because the interest rates are still, still, still low. And yes, again, we hit another historical low. So, reasons you might be thinking of refi- refinancing. Um, lowering interest rates—that's the obvious, common uh, thought process—or the thought of refinancing. And you may have heard before: it can—you want to drop a percent or more to make sense in refinancing. It really matters in how much you're changing your amortization schedule. So, the shorter term you've been in, the shorter time frame you've been in your current amortization schedule, the less that you're making up for re-amortizing the loan over a full another 30 years. So, what is the answer of what that time frame is? It's really easy. You just make sure that your mortgage professional runs a report that shows you exactly where you're at in your amortization schedule today, where you will be based on how long you plan on keeping the property. So if you're going to keep the home for another five years, look at where you'd be, your principal balance five years from today in your current amortization schedule. The key is to compare it with your new amortization schedule. And if you've got a payment savings, just assume you're making the exact same payment because that's comparing apples to apples and which one pays off sooner. That will tell you without a question if it makes sense for you to refinance based on lowering that rate. Uh, Now, lowering payment as well. I just gave you an example here talking about lowering rate, uh, lowering payment and applying that towards principal. But really, there's a lot of things that you can do with that lower mortgage payment. You want to be strategic in where you're putting that money. Again, having um, a mortgage professional that can analyze and run the numbers for you on what makes most sense, whether you're going to pay off. Other debt that costs you a higher interest rate, uh, whether you're going to pay off other debt where you're not getting an interest write-off where majority of the time on your mortgage, you're going to get your interest write-off. So just look at what you're doing with that lower payment. Uh, Getting out of an adjustable rate mortgage. Now, a lot of you may still be on adjustable rate mortgages. Why? When we've had such low interest rates and we've seen appreciation come back in properties for quite a while. The reason why is because if you um, were on, let's say, a a five-year adjustable rate mortgage or a seven-year or 10-year, you're fixed for that period Of time, and then after the initial adjustment, after the initial fixed period, then it starts adjusting every year. Well, most likely you're on the most common adjustable uh, index, which is your 12 month LIBOR index. And if you take a look at what the index has done, I mean, it's just really, really low. So even though your interest rate's getting adjusted, you could see your interest rate being adjusted lower than what you originally started out with. So it's kind of hard to refinance. But here's what I would caution for you eventually the rates will go up so that rate is going to be fixed for another 12 months and then it's going to be based again on what the current 12-month LIBOR or whatever LIBOR the index that you're currently on right now again it's just most common is the 12-month LIBOR it's going to adjust based on that for another 12 months once the interest rates go up your library um, how your more, uh, adjustable rate mortgage is going to be increasing is going to go up as well and it's going to be too late for you so if you plan on keeping the property for a longer term getting on an adjustable rate mortgage and a fixed rate is really good right now uh, talked about lowering payments um, also what about consolidating debt so you can bring in uh, your uh, bring in debt that you have on revolving credit cards now that you've seen some equity in your property you do want to talk to your uh, accountant on that make sure you're making the right decisions or understand how The interest write off is going to work because if you're paying off uh, consolidating debt and cash out, that portion of it uh, most likely would not be an interest write off on that. So, again, you want to make sure you're looking at the numbers and understand how that's going to calculate out for you. Um, Remove someone else off of the loan. You know, that's another reason you see people refinancing. Getting rid of mortgage insurance is another reason. Um, But what I would caution for you on mortgage insurance, uh, if you're on an FHA, depending on when you got the loan, uh, the mortgage insurance um, is you had to hold on to for minimum five years. Now it's for the life of the loan. Uh, so you need to check with your uh, servicer on that. But on conventional financing, minimum 24 months to three months before you can go in and get a new appraisal. So why refinance out of a conventional uh, rate mortgage if you've had it for three, four years and you don't need to actually refinance to get rid of that mortgage insurance, but instead just pay for an appraisal. Now, if we're talking about lowering the rate at the same time, that's a whole other conversation. Again, just running the numbers will let you know what makes mo- most sense for you. Uh, what about consolidating first and second mortgage? Uh, together. If you've taken out a HELOC, we've seen a lot of people doing that with the appreciation coming back in properties right now, doing some remodeling on the home. Uh, if you've got enough enough equity to pull those two together and get a nice fixed rate mortgage, that's wonderful. Uh, shorting your term, uh, here again, I just want you to be uh, cautious in looking at this and make sure you're writing the numbers with your financial planner as well to see if it makes sense. You can get a smoking interest rate on a 15-year fix. You're going to get a percent maybe even, even lower than that than what you would for a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. But what would that increase in your payment do and where could you be investing that um, over the long term that might see a better return for you? So, again, running the numbers with your mortgage professional as well as your financial professional and what that money's going to do can really help you make the best possible decision. Now, uh, things to consider. You have to consider how long you're going to keep the home. That's going to answer a lot of questions for you. You want to consider um, what your loan amount's is going to be, whether you're going to finance in closing costs or not, um, and the overall cost of refinance. Again, just running that report to see how long it's going to take you to uh, recover those costs. Now, tips uh, to get ready for refinance, have your docs ready to go. Don't slow up the process. Just if it makes sense for you to do it, move forward and, and take advantage of it because you don't want to miss out on these interest rates. Again, we are literally, at another historical low right now. They're not. We're going to see interest rates go up. How quickly and how much is the question? But even if they were to go up a half, or just a half a percent, that's you know that's a big chunk of money that you could lose by not locking in right now. Um, also, you do want to make sure you're getting a good uh, interest rate on your mortgage. Mortgage um, uh, companies are going to be competitive, so to get out there and just shop a bunch of companies, I'm not telling you to do that because everybody's going to be competitive in the market. But do get some numbers and and run those to make sure you've got a good competitive quote. But make sure you're doing it same. Day because interest rates change every day sometimes multiple times throughout the day because she you don't want to be playing the rate right game and then uh, most important or one important thing is understand the cost associated and understand that you have cost structures that you can choose from different cost structures you can make a decision on what you want to do make sure you take a look at an awesome interest rate paying some points all the way down to doing a no closing cost loan at all taking a higher interest rate multiple cost structures you can say see what makes most sense for you and again lock in the interest rate. If it makes sense, take advantage of it now. That's the Money Chat. And coming up next in the Money Hour, how do you invest in a low interest rate market? Conversation I'll be having with Gary Castle with Mountain Top Advisors right here at on 1150 AM KKNW after this short break.
3: This is Mini Driver. Ovarian cancer affects women of all ages, even in their 20s. Family history of cancer and presence of certain gene mutations are risk factors. Talk to your family and your doctor. Know your status. To learn more, go to su2c.org/slash ovarian.
0: You're listening to the Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell. Sponsored by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Pinnacle Capital Mortgage Corporation. Now in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert Tina Mitchell.
1: Welcome back to the Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert Tina Mitchell right here on eleven fifty AM KKNW, the July 9th show. I'm dedicated to my listeners, providing you with tools needed to make informed decisions on matters when it affects your money. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but you can call the show at one 855 400 1150 Again, that's one 855 Five five four hundred eleven fifty or online at themoneyarrow.com. I can connect you with the guests that I have in studio or answer any questions that you have right now in studio with me. I have Gary Castle with Mountain Top Advisors. Be talking on investing in a low interest rate world. Gary, thank you so much for coming back in studio.
4: Oh, thank you very much, Tina.
1: And a little bit about Gary. Uh, Gary, again, is with Mountaintop Advisors, uh, first licensed in 1984. Gary's been in a high-volume bank program and at a very well-known credit union. He has his Series 6, 63, and Series 7 licenses, in addition to being fully licensed for life insurance and annuities, both fixed and variables. And really uh, excited for our conversation, Gary, to see uh, what's happening in your world right now and, and sharing with my listeners investing in a low interest rate world. So with inter- interest rates so low, how can an investor find ways to get a decent income from their invest- investment? CDs are horrible right now.
4: Absolutely. Uh, Tina, as your listeners know, it's a, it's a great time to borrow money, but it's a very challenging time to try to earn interest on your savings or in safe investments like fixed CDs and bonds and annuities. Uh, it's particularly tough on seniors who traditionally rely on these programs for their retirement income. But let's kind of start with the basics. Um, stocks, bonds, and cash. Those are kind of the traditional investments that people hold in their retirement accounts and their other investment accounts. Uh, maybe in their 401k plans or their IRAs. Um, uh, so we've got stocks. Everybody knows stocks have some risk involved, but they're very volatile right now. mm mm-hmm. And part of that's because we've uh, the stock market doesn't like uncertainty, and we've got this huge uh, uh, election, this very highly contested election going on. We had the uh, the Brexit over from the EU, uh, Puerto Rico's uh, having a debt crisis, and that's in the news. Uh, there's been some terrorist actions, and all of this makes the stock market kind of an uncomfortable place to invest. Um, so there's wild fluctuations in pricing. Uh, but very little gains to be shown for all the risk that you tend to be taking. Um, Now, bonds, this is the area that I think could be one of the scariest places to invest. And uh, I hear clients all the time say, well, wait a minute. Uh, I I thought bonds were safe. Mm -hmm. And that is what most investors think. And they can provide steady income, uh, which uh, is likely uh, is wonderful. But you're likely to see interest rates, uh, as interest rates eventually go up, the values are going to drop in bonds. Correct. And so nobody likes looking at their account, even if they want the steady income. They don't yep. like looking at it and seeing their values drop. Yes. So if you think of it kind of like the teeter-totter that you played on when you were a kid, um, one side goes up, the other side goes down. With interest rates on one side going up, the values will go down. hmm so, and it's not like they put the fulcrum right in the middle where it's nice and fair. It, uh, the longer the bonds are, the more they go down. So uh, Morningstar showed a, uh, a result back in 2003 when the Fed raised interest rates just a quarter of a percent. It ended up dropping values on the safest in, uh, of bonds, the US Treasuries. It, it dropped them down fourteen over 14% yeah. in two months. Yeah. So that to me is pretty scary. Um, so then, uh, so what do you do? Um, well, when you've got a situation like this um, where you had the, uh, the, the bank crisis and um, uh, what happened was Dodd-Frank uh, rules came into effect, banks got more regulated, and what happens? So how does that affect investors? One of the things that happens is when their lending practices got r- highly regulated, they're no longer able to loan as much on commercial property as mm-hmm. they used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, a ho- highly qualified investor uh, buying a commercial building could maybe get 90% financing from the bank. Now he's lucky to get 50 maybe 60%. Sure. So... There's an opportunity there for somebody to come in and say, "I will provide the essentially the second mortgage, a mezzanine loan, to cover the difference." So the investor is still only putting 10% of their own money in. The overall blended rate works out pretty effective. But if you're the investor that's putting uh, putting up the money for them, you get a pretty decent rate of return on that. So that's one area that that people can do pretty well on.
1: So let's talk about that investing in you know, commercial real estate for income and value appreciation. How can you do that when um, the accounts are not worth millions of dollars?
4: That's a very good question. And I get a lot of my clients are asking uh-huh. me that. Like, how can I do that with what I've got in my account? Well, one way to do that is by using real estate investment trusts. Mm-hmm. They're commonly called REITs. Uh, they allow smaller investors to go into these bigger projects. Uh, They may, the REIT may own a portfolio of buildings. They may own uh, multiple buildings, and they may have them spread over a big geographic area for further diversification. They may own a couple of different kinds of buildings. Mm -hmm. uh, Again, to try to provide some some diversification. Uh, All of that does not ensure gains, and the income isn't guaranteed. But if the programs run well... Uh, it can do very well for the investors, uh, often paying six or even eight percent per year, which is certainly a lot better than one percent that they're getting in CDs or maybe two or three percent that they're getting in bonds. Sure. That have that risk of going. Okay.
1: Down. So these uh, real estate investment trusts or REITs um, own lots or buildings and collect the rents, correct? Yes. So how do you know if um, they're going to be if they're going to send the the income my way?
4: Uh, how do we know that they're going to uh-huh. send it? Uh, Well, one of the the great things for the investor is that uh, REITs are required to disperse at least 90% of their income uh, to the investors or they lose their tax preferential status. Mm -hmm. And that would really hurt them a lot. So they're not inclined to do that. Uh, Again, every investment's got risks. And the non-traded REITs risk basically is liquidity risk. And what that means is not that you're going to lose money, but that your money is going to be tied up for a while and you can't access it. It may be tied up for four years or five years. Mm -hmm. And you have to wait as the investor for that portion of your investments you can't need it in that period of time.
1: Yeah, so really analyzing and make sure you understand what you're what you're doing with that money, and you're fine not having it for whatever that period of time is. Exactly. So, how can you find out the uh, track records? You know what their track records are, their past investments, to make sure that this is a safer investment.
4: That's that's another kind of wonderful thing about REITs. They're required to put their good, bad, and ugly history out there in the prospectus. They have to explain everything that they've done up to this point mm-hmm. uh, in, in REITs, uh, their past performance, and how it went for the investors.
1: Okay. So would you look at these as safe or risky investments, Gary? I, yes and no. Okay. Explain that to my listeners.
4: There, are like a lot of investments, there are stocks that are risky and stocks that are very safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same thing happens with REITs. There are some of them that they are taking kind of a bold move. Uh, for example, they might be buying buildings that are just about to be foreclosed on. Okay. The, the buildings, they've, the tenants have left. They don't have a lot of income coming in. They're not able to make the bank loan. Uh, the bank uh, note is in trouble. And these companies might sweep in and, and buy some of those buildings kind of cheap, mm-hmm. but they've got to have the crew, uh, an established crew to go in there, do a hurry up, quick cleanup job, get new tenants in there, and, um, and once they've improved the number of tenants in there and increased the amount of income, then they're in pretty good shape. But meanwhile, they got to buy cheap
1: got it So okay. the, whole,
4: the whole buy Makes low one. sense
1: so when you have it, when you buy low you've got higher risk i mean it's just you know um, yeah. uh, usually that's what you're going to what you're going to see but so, at
4: the same time there's also at the same time there's also some other ones that uh, they're very very clean very well uh-huh. run they've got uh, 100 almost 100% occupancy mm-hmm. they've got very high quality tenants with really long term leases so the cautious investor is going to feel very, very comfortable with that.
1: Of course. Yeah. Yep. So. Makes sense. So, what if someone wants to look beyond the U.S. for a good investment options, but um, just knowing a little bit here in the U.S., probably don't know too much going on in the foreign countries. So, is it safe to invest in other countries when it comes to REITs?
4: It it can be. Okay. Um, so you have to. Uh, the listeners kind of have to keep in mind that about ninety percent of the Earth's mass is not in the United States. Yes, We only have about 8% of the world's population here. Mm -hmm. So that means that there's probably some opportunities in other places. There's probably some very well-run companies and um, uh, investments in other places. Okay. So that's, I guess, just keep an open mind on that, and and do some research, and hopefully an advisor will give you some some good advice on where you can go. Whole
1: for no, that. whole other show when it comes to that question. Yes. <laughs> okay, yes. so have you heard about these uh, impact investing funds? And is this something new? Uh,
4: yes, that's a relatively a new category of investment, mm-hmm. and. The idea there is that uh, they're not only going to give you a decent return, but they're also going to do something impactful, something beneficial in the community or in the area that they operate in. Okay. So, um, one of them that I'm familiar with loans money to small to medium-sized companies in developing countries. They're selected developing countries and Mm -hmm. very selected uh, companies that they're going to make loans to. These are companies that are in their growth stages, they're profitable, they can afford to borrow money at higher rates, Uh, but because of the country that they're in, they don't have banks on every corner like we do around here. We're familiar with having all these community banks for small businesses, they don't Mm -hmm. have that. Their country may only have one or two banks total. So there isn't, nobody's really loaning money to them. And so that gives you an opportunity if you are in the business of loaning money to businesses, that you can um uh, get a decent rate of return
1: okay so. all right so uh, gary what about um you know most people want a decent return in their ira so they can hopefully retire someday and i heard that there's um, also socially responsible funds do not perform as well are the impact funds the same thing
4: yes and no um they uh, purport to make an economic impact in their area or a social impact in their area. So that means that sometimes they are uh, building schools for the employees or the village that they've got their factory in. Mm-hmm. They might be providing uh, much better housing for their employees and families um, and uh, or providing medical care that they don't normally get. Got it. So yep. those are some of the impacts that they're doing. A lot of the socially responsible funds just limit themselves to: we're not going to invest in tobacco or firearms okay. or or um, alcohol.
1: Makes sense. So, if they're beginning charged a high interest rate, can the companies really afford to pay these loans back?
4: Well, the very first thing that they look at is yes, can they afford to yep. make the payments? And then so secondly, there's
1: responsible lending that's going on.
4: It's very responsible lending, and a lot of times these companies are coming back over and over. They might be using it for trade, okay, where they just need to um, have a temporary loan while the stuff is in shipment before they get paid. Got it. So uh, they're going to come back the following year or the year after that.
1: Perfect. So what kind of impact do these uh, companies provide to their operating areas and how do you track them to make sure that they're doing what they've promised?
4: The, the one fund that I'm very familiar with, um, they typically will um, be expanding employment in their area. These companies typically pay a much higher prevailing wage. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's very beneficial in the areas that they're operating in. The more employees they have, the, the better it is for that town or area. Um, some of the times they're, like I said, they'll they'll build a a local school, um, which is good for everybody. If you've got higher educated, more literate children, then that's good down the road too.
1: Sure. Gary, I've got 30 seconds. Got to take us to a commercial here. A shout out or a call to action for my listeners. The main
4: thing I would have them do, I think, would be to take a look at the um, number of bonds or the amount of bonds or bond funds that they've got and be kind of wary uh, and talk to their financial advisor and say, hey, is this something tell me about interest rate risk and what are my options.
1: Wonderful. And you want more information on Gary, just go to the themoneyhour.com, um, type in his name. You can listen to previous segments that he's had right here in studio. A great re- resource for you to uh, be looking at a uh, d- diversification and an option for your investments. Gary, thank you so much for enjoying me, joining me in studio.
4: It's always my pleasure, Tina. Thank you very much.
1: Coming up next in The Money Hour, coaching buyers and sellers to win in this crazy hot real estate market. I've got Jonah Hood from Windermere Real Estate right here on 1150 AM. <laughs> And KKNW after this short break.
4: Hi, my name is Gary Castle from Mountaintop Advisors, LLC. I'm a licensed, registered, and insured investment advisor and fiduciary. I help small businesses and families in the Puget Sound area with their retirement plans and sorting through the various investment options that can be so confusing. Every type of investment has risks, so it's helpful to have a 30-year professional helping guide you through the confusing and conflicting options that you have these days. My area of specialty is in adding alternative investments to your accounts to reduce risks and possibly increase your gains. These are complementary investments that do not go up and down with the stock and bond markets that most investors already own. By adding these additional types of investments such as real estate investment trusts, business development companies, commodities, and others, we increase your safety by increasing your diversification. Why put all of your eggs in two baskets when you can split them into four or more? Visit me, Gary Castle at mtadvisors.net, mountaintop advisors, or call me at 253-332-0734. Securities are offered through Titan Securities, member SIPC, and FINRA.
0: You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell. Sponsored by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Pinnacle Capital Mortgage Corporation. Now, in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell.
1: Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, July 9th show. I've built a network of elite industry professionals every week, sharing their knowledge and expertise with you, my listeners. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day... You are listening to a rebroadcast. You can call the show at one 855 1150 or go online to moneyara.com to uh, connect with any of the guests I have in studio or if you'd like to talk with me as your host. Uh, questions for me, of course, I'm always available for you. Right now in studio, I have Jonna Hood from Windermere Real Estate. Jonna, thanks for coming back in studio. Thanks
5: for having me. And
1: excited to hear what you, uh, advice that you're giving your buyers and sellers. As you uh, said in this crazy market because it is with the lack of inventory, with the interest rates so low, um, there's just a lot of activity going on there. And a little bit of uh, background about Jonna. Uh, Jana defines her role as a creative sales professional with a passion for aligning people and dreams. As a managing broker in real estate since 2003, with a network based largely in the millennial democratic, Jana brings a unique combination of experience and modern perspective to her practice. She prides herself in holding the highest standards in customer service while also working hard to keep the buying and selling process fun no matter what the market climate might be, may be. In the Money Hour segment today, Jonna talks about uh, partnering with her customers to create winning strategies for buying and selling in today's competitive market. And I like that, the winning strategies, because that's uh, definitely what you have to have is you've got to have the strategies needed in order to win in this market. And the quicker you can win, meaning making the less offers, or the quicker you can win as a seller, meaning maximizing your profits, that's really what the name, the name of the game is. So um, since you specialize with uh, millennials and first-time homebuyers, can you tell us about the emotions that come from buying and selling in the market and how you are coaching in this demographic?
5: Yeah. um, So for this market, I think that there's a lot of fear when you're first entering and trying to figure out, should I buy, should I wait? Um, And so the biggest part of my role is first, obviously, education, so just Mm -hmm. explaining what's happening and changing every single day. But the fun part that I've found is really the psychology that goes into buying and selling. So with every customer, I sit down and spend time um, talking about what the market's doing, but also how that plays into what their plans are long-term. So what are their goals? And until you know the why, you can't really figure out the what, because yes. what buyers end up buying is often not what they tell me they plan to buy. Yeah. Um, and when they buy it is not often. When they always say, oh, a year, year and a half, mm-hmm. and it's like 90 days later we're in a home. So I
1: know, and I tell my <laughs> clients the same thing with financing. As soon as you kind of figure out the financing, when you get the steps in in place, you notice, well, gosh, it makes sense. Why am I you know, not doing it? Yeah. Uh, now. So what are the steps that buyers can take in today's market that will prepare them to win in the most likely multiple offer situation they're going to be put in?
5: Well, and touching back on that psychology element, okay. is where, with that millennial demographic and buyers in this market, uh-huh. the emotions are so important in how they um, strategize and um, sellers and pricing the same way. And so we really spend a lot of time predicting what they're going to go through and what are, it's almost like gambling in a little bit, like what's uh-huh. our what's our walk away, Kay. right? Um, and if you spend a lot of time analyzing your market, understanding, like get really hyper-local around the home that you're buying, you can predict what that spread if. if everything's going above market price, right? Sure. Um, then you can predict where you should land. You can also then think about really creative ways to make your offer more attractive. So obviously there's the old school writing the love letters and Uh making it really personal. um, But we also have um, making sure that you've got a large amount of earnest money if you can and prepared. Mm -hmm. Maybe even looking that we have some buyers that are um, prepared for paying the difference between the appraisal and the list price. So not Mm -hmm. all buyers know that when they come in. Um, So there's that. There's also escalator clauses and understanding how to make those really aggressive and creative, but also not overpaying. So there's yes. a balance. And if you and your agent really know your territory and the product, um, you can really have a step ahead against your competition.
1: And I always uh, say to Jonna, that they really need to go back to you and find out per house how they're going to strategize because it's not one strategy. And you just said that. I mean, there's all these things. But depending on the house, you're going to make an offer is how you're going to be coaching them and strategizing for that particular offer. Correct?
5: Absolutely. And I've been really impressed in this market how cooperative the agents are because we're Um, all just trying to figure out how we do the best for our sellers and how we do the best for our buyers. And so making sure that your agent is really in communication with the listing agent and vice versa, that we're all just... doing our best to do the best for our client. you know, Makes
1: total sense. So what strategies are working, uh, Johnna, for sellers hoping to create a multiple offer scenario? So we kind of, when, when they're listing their home, so we kind of talked about the buyer and how to prepare and present that offer. Now we're talking about putting your other hat on when representing the seller, you want to get as many offers as you can.
5: Yeah, listings can be a lot of fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> in my background, this is probably the most fun I've ever had with listings. And um, I'm typically pretty conservative in pricing. And in this market, being aggressive goes a long way, and uh-huh. so if you really do your homework, and my sellers and I, we partner together in it. So it's not me telling them this is what we have to do. Let's sit down together, do our research, and really find out where was the biggest spread. Which property in our neighborhood are we trying to outperform? Right? How Got do we it. beat the market? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it comes down to the littlest things. Where obviously pricing is important. That's the first step, but also staging, preparing the home, um, doing is the timing is everything. From weekend to weekend, it can change. Um, listing on before a, you know, a holiday weekend be, can be a lot different than listing before school gets out yes, or vice versa. You know, it. So really just looking at all the different elements.
1: Okay. And what qualities or things should a, a buyer or seller be looking at when choosing their real estate professional?
5: Um, I think from a buyer's perspective, um, experience is really huge right now. We're moving so fast. Properties are on for three to six days on average. So you don't have a lot of time to make mistakes. Um, And because it is so emotional, buyers won't lose more than a few times before they get really discouraged. And so you want to have someone that really is helping you show up with your best foot forward the first time. Um, Yeah. What about on the the seller side? Um, Yeah, for the seller side, I think it's really... um, Again, we can't predict, we don't have a crystal ball, but to really maximize those values, um, it comes down to marketing, pricing, and just planning and having someone who, I don't think, I don't really believe in the hyper neighborhood specialist agent anymore. We all Uh kind of work throughout the territories, but really spending time um, before you list to understand that property, that neighborhood, um, and just the, the history behind it and how you you know, outperform the history behind it.
1: Yeah, well, and I liked what you said with the uh, the sellers. You're partnering up with your sellers, so you're not telling them what to do, but instead you're partnering up and saying, "Okay, this is what I advise that we do." Here's the data that backs it, and so I think that's really important. That for any of the sellers listening, your your agent has to be giving you the reason why behind in how they're pricing and what they feel that they can do to increase that. So let's talk about um, uh, tips for uh, prepping a home for showing. So when you're getting that that home on the market and prepping for the showing, are there things that um, upgrades and different things that really are going to have a lot higher um, net result to the seller.
5: Yeah, your ROI is different on all different kinds of upgrades. And I tell people, if you're preparing to sell, that's a different conversation than if you're just living in your home and enjoying it. So yes. do what you, because mm-hmm. no one ever does the stuff until they get ready to list. And sure. so if you want that landscape backyard, do it when you move in. Um, but if you are preparing to sell, there's a lot of little things you can do that go a long way. Paint and carpet all day long yep. in any market, really. Um, but in this market, that's an obvious one. Staging is huge. I wasn't always one to constantly uh, recommend it, but in this market, it's definitely um, paying off. I would say also thinking about landscaping <laughs> (laughs) that curb appeal element so what does it feel like when you're standing at the front door um, looking for the little things and because i think buyers are having to overpay and go above list on almost every property they want it turnkey they want every little element and that without having that they're not really willing to go that extra step Uh Um, and so you see a big difference in a home that feels like a fixer, or like it needs cosmetic stuff, the price difference can be in the tens of thousands of dollars if someone yeah. just made that adjustment.
1: That's crazy. And I you know I know the answer to this, but I have to ask it because I know that this is kind of a, a, a big one with sellers just thinking that they really don't have to do that much in this market when that's not the case because um, it's really about maximizing profit. It's not about getting an offer. So can you talk to my sellers that are listening about staging and how important um, that is and how important showing and how they show that home? Um, just as we were talking about.
5: Yeah, and I think, because in 2007, we didn't have to do as much. I mean, you put Uh a key box on it and the offers just showed up. Uh Um, But in this market, it's really, staging in particular is a a standard in the Seattle market. But even in the outer line, and also on the east side, but as you move outwards, it's a differentiator. And so it really, um, it creates that emotional tie Uh when people walk in. They're buying into more of a lifestyle um, than just a box, you know. So they're trying to figure out where to put their furniture and all of that. Um, But also, so it can make things lighter and brighter and bigger. Yes. Um, so if you've got whatever your, weak, what might be perceived as a weakness in the property can mm-hmm. also be shifted to um, you know, strength with the right staging.
1: Yeah, and like I say, the emotional connection, that's really where it's at. And especially in a seller, when you're trying to get the buyers to do some crazy stuff here, pay over what the appraised value comes in, they're emotionally, t- emotionally tied to the house. There's a lot of things that they're going to do. But if you don't get them on the emotions, and that's what staging can really help with. Yeah. So what are some things to keep in mind when Uh, shopping for a condo?
5: Yeah, so I think just important things, A, I think there's a lot of potential growth in condos this year. I'm really excited about them. Uh Um, But also, uh, most buyers need to understand what an HOA is. Sounds obvious, but understand Uh um, it's a mutual investment that you're making with this HOA as well. So it's a partnership. And there's pros and cons to that. So understanding how to read a resale cert so you can ask your real estate agent to actually give you a sample of one of those. So Because they're an inch and a half thick and you'll have five days to review it. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of my buyers, I don't think, are going page by page, but it can yes. help to do so. Also understanding rental caps. So Huge. if you ever intend to make it a rental or to if you get transferred for work or whatever, you want to understand what that means to you and also what it means to the building. Are you approved for FHA or sure. not? Um, so all of these things um, can affect your value long term. Um, And I think beyond that, probably also understanding buying power. Okay. Um, So if you are looking in a price point and you've got dues added to that, say you're looking at a $400,000 price point and you have $500 a month in dues, that can buy you an extra $100,000 in house. So that might have put you into a townhouse or residential. So just working with your agent to understand um, the different options that you've got.
1: Got it. So up-and-coming neighborhoods, where is it right now? Where's the hot or up-and-coming hot places? Yeah. Um,
5: well, if I could give a shout-out to the east side since we're over here. Um, of course. mamish blew my mind recently. I... Um, It's just, I think out of all the areas that I've worked on the east side, Sammamish just seems to be killing it. Uh Um, I I think it's more competitive than most of the neighborhoods I've worked in in Seattle. Really? Um, I think it's the schools. It's crazy. There's just, there's so much to it and the surrounding territories just don't have all of that combined. So Mm -hmm. kudos to Sammamish. But in the Seattle area, which is predominantly where I work, Uh um, I would say that the central area is really hot right now. Okay. Georgetown, um, Mm -hmm. the inventory, if you think it's low everywhere else, it's even lower in Georgetown. Uh-huh. So that affects the values as well. Um, you do have to keep in mind that you are not the only one looking at up and coming territories. Yes. And as an agent, my job is also to really get a definition from you in terms of what does that mean to you? So uh-huh. um, everybody's uh, definition of what they'd be comfortable living in. Do you plan on having kids? Have you checked the schools? Uh-huh. So where do you really see yourself and how long will you be in that home? Because sometimes up and coming can take 30 years. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: so, what does that upcoming mean? So, yeah. we've got we've got a minute um, before I got to take us to break here. But I want to um, ask this because I think it's important uh, for sellers that are listening that are afraid to put their homes on the market because they're afraid they're not going to be able to find another house. How are you coaching and counseling around um, uh,
5: that obstacle? Um,, you've got bridge loans and some finance mm-hmm. options as well. Fortunately, um in this market, because it's so leaning in the seller's direction, you do have um, a lot of flexibility, usually in extended closings. You can do rent mm-hmm. backs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also in, in rest on the the fact that in most markets, if you list and price appropriately, you'll sell quickly as well. So you might not have to carry it for as long as you think. Yeah, um, but that is the age old. Tail, you know, I don't yeah. want to buy until I sell, and I yes. can't sell until I buy. So yeah, we got see it. So you don't
1: want to, you don't want to miss out with that, uh, that possible yeah. objection, but find a solution for it because typically there's always a solution for everything. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming back in studio. It was great uh, having a My conversation pleasure. with you, and I uh, look forward to chatting again hopefully soon. Awesome. Thank you. And coming up next in the Money Arm, how do you create stories that will grow your business? Sally Fox with engaging presence right here on at 11:50 a.m. KKNW after this short break.
2: Do you want to make your message more memorable and have your business be noticed by the right customers? Do you want your presentations to have more pizzazz? And how about having more impact with your bio, LinkedIn profile, or about page? You need story power. Sally Fox of EngagingPresence.com will show you how to use stories to turbocharge your business. Coach and consultant Sally Fox of EngagingPresence.com will teach you to grow more business, reach customers and improve your presentations and social media presence. With over 30 years experience coaching business leaders, Sally knows how to take her clients to the heart of what matters most to them and translate their stories into ones customers want to hear. Whether you're working on your branding, social media presence, or creating a killer presentation, Sally Fox of EngagingPresence.com can help. Sign up today for her newsletter at EngagingPresence.com and receive great ideas and tips on increasing your creativity, productivity, and storytelling skills. Or send a message to Sally at EngagingPresence.com and tell her you heard her on the Money Hour radio show, and she'll give you a free 30-minute consultation.
3: I'm Sally Fox and your story matters. Let me help you bring it to the world through your presentations, website, or social media. Contact me today at www.engagingpresence.com for your free consultation or to sign up for my newsletter.
0: You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell. Sponsored by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Pinnacle Capital Mortgage Corporation. Now, in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell.
1: Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday July 9th show. I'm here to empower our community, providing you with opportunities and solutions when it comes to your money. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, you can call the show at one 855 400 1150 Again, that's one 855 400 1150 or online at themoneyhour.com to discuss anything regarding your finances or to get connected with the uh, guest I have. Have in studio uh, as well. And right now I'm having a conversation with Sally Fox with Engaging Presence. Sally, thank you so much for joining me in studio.
3: You're welcome, Tina. I'm delighted to be here.
1: And very excited about my conversation uh, with Sally today. And before we get into that, a little background about Sally. Sally has been um, a coach and consultant who has coached hundreds of professionals to use stories to grow their business and inspire others to take action. Storytelling is a powerful tool in business that helps you connect and engage more effectively with others. Whether you're a small business owner, a team manager, a C suite executive, or an independent professional, you know that part of the success depends on motivating others. Sally's helps you develop stories that will make your message stick. Now, she has delivered business storytelling workshops locally and internationally. She's a professional speaker who can show you how to bring power and pizzazz to your presentations. Sally holds a doctorate in leadership development and an MBA and has brought her uh, intuitive bottom line approach to producing results for her clients for over 20 years. She has has recently chosen to be part of a selective Forbes coaching council. Uh, check her out at www.engagingpresence.com and sign up for her weekly column or create leadership and productivity um, or listen to a virtual present podcast on iTunes. Uh, you can also find her at uh, www.virtualpresence.com and hear interview leaders uh, who are shaping the stories of their shaping their stories that are shaping their world and I'm a big believer in, in stories as well Sally so much uh, so that my book's going to be out this month so um, Fantastic, I you know, know I can't wait I can't oh wait goodness. to uh, have you take a look at it in, yeah. and give me some of your critique but anyways let's get back to the uh, the listeners here so today is all about storytelling and how storytelling can help grow your business and I like in the bio it's really about how do you connect with people on an emotional level and that's how we get people to take action action that we know that they should be taking that's why we're selling or doing the business that we're doing because it's right for the customers that we're trying to attract. So why is story, a story telling a skill that every business leader needs to have?
3: Well, you know as a businesswoman, Tina, that getting people's attention and really having them feel like what you're offering is something they need is at the core of business. Mm-hmm. It's not enough just to know, but you want people to engage And story is your best vehicle for helping people to engage. You know, like get out beyond the words and the blah, 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 and the things that everybody is saying that can sometimes sound the same. Yes. But story lets you share your unique message and relate it to what your customers need.
1: So, Sally, where can having a great story be useful?
3: Ooh, all over the place. Uh, I knew you were going to answer that. Um, Let me give you a few examples. Okay. Today in the business marketplace, first place people will usually go to check you out is LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Now, LinkedIn isn't just your resume. It's a place where you begin to put your story. You don't want your LinkedIn profile to be boring. Mm -hmm. You want a bit of you to pop out the moment somebody clicks on you in, in LinkedIn. So that's number one and then maybe they'll go onto your website and they see all the great services that you offer but then they ask who are you mm-hmm. and not just you like your degrees and your years of experience that's all good but they want to feel is this somebody i want to deal with sure so there you and then the other part of course you know i know tina you go out in the community and you make presentations and so i can just show you you know The world of difference there is between someone who makes a presentation loaded with great stories that give examples and really bring the subject matter to life and someone who gives a presentation with good information, Mm -hmm. but no stories to make it sparkle.
1: Yeah, so they're not getting that, getting that action. So can you share with my uh, listeners, uh, Sally, let's go over some examples of businesses that are doing a great job using story
3: Well, the one place that I'd send people right away is to Airbnb. And it's a great example on different levels. Because when they went into business, if they had just started out and said, hey guys, we're a cheap alternative to a hotel, Mm -hmm. which was probably what a lot of people were saying about them, you Uh know, but they were also really kind of suspicious, you know, what's this Airbnb? So the first thing that they did was that they set this really powerful framework. For their stories. And they said, we're not going to compete with hotels. We're not a cheap alternative. We are a lifestyle resource that's bringing the world to thousands of people. So they, they created that campaign about you know, how you could belong anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Yep. Great campaign. So they set up this framework for their stories. And then when you go on their site, you find these amazing videos of both the... Uh, the host families, and the customers. Mm -hmm. So you have lots of stories of delight that take you to interesting parts of the world. And my gosh, you get engaged, you want to start traveling, you want to start experiencing the world, and you get what Airbnb is all about.
1: Makes total sense. Now, uh, you share leaders who tell stories of, um, have been willing to be more personal with their audience. Mm Mm-hmm. Is that, is that a risk in business to get to too much on the personal side? Or is that really what you want to do when sharing your story? Well, it depends
3: on what we mean by personal. Because, okay. in fact, when you get up in front of a crowd, they're going to be making a lot of personal assessments of you. I, I, for myself, I don't think that you can ever totally separate the personal out. But a lot of my leadership clients get a little squeamish because they associate personal and private. And I'm not talking private. Okay. I am also saying you can just give a little bit of um, a little bit of who you are. You can. It doesn't have to be very big, but it's just enough to give people that sense. And I tell you, because I used to work with colonels in the U.S. Army, they were so good at always telling some little story about how they had worked with the troops. Mm-hmm. Um, that made them come alive, that made them accessible. They'll let you know what they cared about. And nobody went around and said, oh, my gosh, that was so personal. They shouldn't have done that. Instead, people went up and talked to them like yeah. they were real human beings.
1: Okay. So what are the key skills that the business storyteller needs to have?
3: Well, this one may be surprising. Okay. But the absolute key skill that a business storyteller needs to have is listening. You know, the first part is, when you're a storyteller, you start listening to other stories and other people's mm. stories. And you know, because you're, you, know, you do sales, yep. that you're always listening to your customers. Yes. So, you're listening because you actually want to pull out your customers' stories. Mm-hmm. And then, when you're telling a story, you're also listening, because a story isn't like reading a speech. A story is like a living interaction. So you want to be able to be there completely tuned in with your customer, kind of getting a sense. Is this going over? Can I see it in their eyes? Mm -hmm. How am I doing? Are we relating? And because a story is a living thing, you adapt as you go. Sure. So your ability to listen, a storyteller without listening isn't a storyteller
1: okay so let's, um, so let's say one of my my listeners is an entrepreneur working for themselves and how can they use their story to promote themselves and their business
3: great question you know first they they'll know what the let's say the three services that they're offering are and they also know what the skills and talents that they bring in and what's absolutely distinctive about them okay so instead of just having that be words Every time there's an opportunity to bring a story, and I'm, I'm not talking about long stories. You can tell a story in under 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. But every time there's an opportunity to sh- share with people how this really works or what an experience of a delighted client who worked with your service was all about. And y- you start sharing the stories of the customers and clients who came to you and how they were able to create miracles in their lives Mm -hmm. after working with you, you'll get people's attention because it's real, because they know it's not you just saying more, oh, look at me, I'm doing these great things. You're talking about customers. And results. Yes. And you're doing it through story and that's what gets people's attention.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I know you've, you share this a lot with your clients and I want you to share with my listener because I'm such a, a you know, a, a big believer in this. You know, we're talking about the stories that you're telling your customer, how to connect with them on a deeper level so you can help them engage and to take that next step um, in your business. But also the stories that you're telling yourself, what you're telling yourself about how your business looks, how your money looks, how your family dynamic. Um, how can, how are you helping your client to change the story that they're telling themselves so they can get to the level of success that they want for themselves?
3: Thank you for asking that question, because that really takes you right into the heart of the work. And I know that you really work with people around having a really positive attitude. Mm -hmm. So uh, in business, there are a lot of things that are challenging. And so when we hit a challenge or we go through a a spell where we're not producing the results the way we want to, we, we get to look at what's the story about that. Is the story, oh my God, I'm a failure, it's not working, I'm not as good as these other people, or is the story something like, I'm on my way, and to prove it, I have all these examples of what I'm doing, and you know what? With every example that doesn't work so well, I have learned a huge amount that's just making me even more competent as Mm -hmm. a professional, and you'll actually get a sense of my determination and my endeavor by hearing how I met my challenges. So by having that mindset of I am creating this story, I can transform things that other people might say, Whoa, oh, that was a really difficult episode or that might have been a real setback. You have transformed it into something that really supports you and your business.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I've, I hear people say... Um You know, someone's one up on me. I hate it when I hear that because nobody's one up on anybody. You're one up on yourself. That's it. We're in competition with ourselves and no one else. So, and it really starts from that, um, from that self-talk and that storytelling. And and that's how you can really be uh, believable to your clients as well. And really, because you can't, no matter how good of a story you have, if you're not communicating with the emotion, the emotion behind it, and you believe in that story that you're telling and the confidence with it, it's not going to matter anyways. So, before we wrap things up. Here, um, uh, Sally, what would you what would be the biggest uh, advice that you uh, you would give to my clients to really be able to connect? I want to give a resource um, before we drop off, but I I want to have a, a call to action here for clients to be thinking about in that step to really engage in storytelling and how it's going to change their business. Mm-hmm.
3: Well two things I'm going to suggest. One is to look at everything that they're offering and everything that they say that they can do and they're great at and make sure they have a killer story behind it. Okay. Because we don't want just words. We want to have the story that makes us feel something. And then the second thing, which incidentally will relate to what I do, to really work that story, you need to have a listener. And it's really useful to have a story coach because it's hard to hear ourselves. It's hard to hear the magic sometimes that exists in our own stories. Mm-hmm. So you can work with me as a coach or a story coach to really capture the, the things in your story that will make it pop, that will make it come alive, and learn how to present it and share it in a way that's really compelling.
1: Got it. Wonderful. So, Sally, uh, we give some resource for my uh, resources for my listeners. Where can they go to... Uh, to learn more and get connected with you.
3: Thanks for asking. My website, www.engagingpresence.com. I have some great story resources. I have a blog that people should sign up for because there's all sorts of information I'm putting out every week. There's an ebook that they can get when they sign up for the, uh, when they sign up for the blog. Mm-hmm. And as a special offer to, to guests of this show, they can email me directly, and I will give them a 30-minute complimentary consultation so we can look at the story that they're sharing and see if there's a way to make it even more engaging.
1: Thank you so much, Sally. So, Sally, go ahead and give them the email address, your website, one more time um, so they've got that.
3: My email is sally at engagingpresence, all one word, dot com, and my website is www.engagingpresence.com.
1: Perfect. And for my regular listeners, you know the website, www.themoneyhour.com. You can get Sally's information there as well. Sally, thank you so much for uh, joining me again in studio. It's always a pleasure uh, talking with you and uh, excited to uh, share more about st- uh, storytelling in the near future.
3: It's always a delight to talk to you, Tina. Thank you so much for inviting me.
1: You're welcome. This is your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, signing off for the day. But I'll be here, same place, same time next weekend, right here at on 1150 AM KKNW. Enjoy the rest of your week, everyone.
0: The preceding program is paid for by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Finance of America Mortgage LLC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS 1071, AZBK 0910184. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420 is a licensed loan originator with Absolute Mortgage. Visit absoluteloans.com or call 888-90-HOMES for cost information.